Good morning, everybody. I hope you're doing well today. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And uh, as Cynthia mentioned, I, I just want to welcome you guys to the Advent season here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. And if you have your Bibles or your devices today, you guys can turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to largely be in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Um, for those of you I don't know, for those of you who are joining online, uh, my name's Todd. And just really glad that you're here this Christmas season. My parents used to uh, tell me growing up, and they would especially say this around this time of year, they would say, Todd, you got to understand that God answers your request, and he answers our request. He, he answers what we want in one of three ways. Um, he says uh, either yes to your request, he says no, and some of you have heard this, so you can say it along with me, or he says, some of you are thinking maybe, or wait, right? Maybe, or wait, right? Uh, and, and I have two thoughts on what my parents told me back then as I've gotten older. Uh, I've realized that, number one, uh, they were saying that about God because that's how they wanted to answer me. They wanted to make sure that I knew that they could say no or wait to the things I was asking for, right? You know, especially about, like, some outrageous toy or something that we wanted for Christmas, you know? They wanted to, like, make sure that the expectations were there, that they were, like, permitted to say no or to say wait. But the other thing that I've realized over the years about what they said about God, it's true. It's true. God will often answer our greatest requests. He will often like move us from a place where we're dreaming about something for our lives or for our families or for our careers or whatever the situation may be. He, he, he will meet our expectations with one of three things, either yes no or wait. And today as we enter this season where we're focusing on the divine interruption, it's the fact that we often will expect God to answer every request that we have, every dream that we have, every ambition that we have, any kind of goal that we have. We want him to answer yes and any other answer that we receive from him we view as not efficient or not right. That God should be answering us with yes to everything. In this series, in the Divine Interruption, we're going to be taking a look at certain subjects that surrounded some of the people who were around Jesus' birth and some of the people who were affected by Jesus coming into the world then, we're going to be looking at the subjects of fear, we're going to be looking at the subjects of uncertainty and unexplained circumstances, and today, unmet expectations. You don't have to raise your hand on this one, but how many of you have a goal or have an expectation that like failed to come through, a goal that maybe has not been met, or an aspiration that you thought might happen in your life that you're thinking, it's just never going to happen. After yesterday in football, a lot of you have some unmet expectations, but I'm not going to go there, all right, because I don't have any there. But anyway, I think we all have, ooh, wow, man, I'm going to be in trouble for that. I might not get lunch for that one. Uh, anyway, we have... Uh, I'm getting thumbs down from the most important person in my life. Anyway, uh, we have certain ambitions and certain goals and certain expectations that we think should be met, should be achieved. And what I want us to look at today is several 
situations in which people had to hear from God, either know or wait. And the circumstances surrounding three of the narratives in the birth of Jesus really can be confounding or confusing if we look at the world like Jesus is, you know, somehow going to be everything that we want him to meet. Now, I want to say this. God sent his son into this world to meet our greatest need. He sent Jesus into this world to to meet the greatest need that we have as humans, and that's the need of sin separating us from God. Jesus came to solve our greatest problem. He came to bring us our greatest dream that we may not even think is something that we need, but it is something that we need, and that is eternity with God in heaven. Jesus came to solve mankind's greatest problems. But sometimes we think that Jesus is somehow a genie in the bottle, and if we do A, and if we do B, then he should answer us with C. Eugene Peterson said this, and I want you to hear these words. For some of you, this might sound sacrilege. It might sound shocking. But Eugene Peterson said, Jesus does not always meet our expectations. He does not always do what we ask for or what we think we need. And when he doesn't, Eugene says, we feel let down, we feel deflated, or we feel disappointed. And I want to ask you, before we dive in today, how many of you came here today feeling down, deflated, and disappointed? Because you have an aspiration in your career or in your life or in your academic career, or in terms of your relationships, or you may have something that you think that you are owed by God because of the way that you live and behave, and you may come to this place today feeling down, deflated, and disappointed. And when we don't understand the bigger picture of what God is doing in our lives and in this world, we will be disappointed with the God who came to meet our greatest need, and that's the need that we have for salvation. It may sound like sacrilege. It may sound like it's somehow disrespectful, but in so many ways, Jesus is coming into this world, God sending his son to die for this world and bringing him in that we celebrate at Christmas. As Cynthia mentioned earlier, the advent or the arrival of Christ that we celebrate and we look forward to, in many ways, he let the world down. At the time, the world expected someone who would come in and bring earthly peace, financial gain, kind of bring a utopia to things. The Jewish people, they they wanted a Messiah. They expected a Messiah that would bring them out of bondage and oppression and suffering. Peter, one of Jesus' followers, he he wanted Jesus to be the the war hero, hero, the conquering war hero. And he was let down. Because the fact is, is that the Son of God came into this world in the most humble of ways. And then left this physical world by dying on a cross in one of the most gruesome ways. But God knows exactly what he's doing in the big picture of things in your life and in my life. Even when our expectations aren't met. 
So the question that we have to grapple with then today is what do we do with our faith walk? What do we do with our lives when our expectations in this world aren't met and, and our faith comes into play? We're in that intersection of our faith and unmet expectations, what do we do? Three narratives today. Narrative one is, is probably a couple that you may be less familiar with, but it's where Luke starts. The second narrative is a couple that you're very familiar with. I'm sure if you know the Christmas story at all, it's Mary and Joseph. The first couple is Zachariah and Elizabeth. And the last narrative is just a brief moment on the innkeeper because I think that these people surrounding the birth of Jesus had expectations from God, and they had expectations in their lives and the birth of Jesus and the circumstances surrounding the birth of Jesus didn't really meet those expectations. In fact, it could be the opposite, but God was still at work. Zechariah, he was a priest. He was a religious leader in the Jewish community. He was a man who was respected and revered. He came from the, the right family. He came from the right tribe. He had a wife, and her name was Elizabeth. And in his own words, she was getting older, and they didn't have a family. Men, let's not follow Zachariah and calling our wives old, okay? Let's not do that. That's the one thing we don't want to follow here from Zachariah. But Zechariah, he is, he is uh, married to, to Elizabeth, who's the cousin of Mary. Uh, and, and, and we know that Zechariah and Elizabeth wanted to have a family. If you, were a, a, if you were a couple, if you were a married couple in the Jewish community, family was important, right? Tradition and family, it's of the utmost importance. And they were getting into that period of time in their lives when it looked like having a family was becoming more and more and more impossible. And so we have to presume that this was a, a couple that was beginning to think in this snapshot of their lives in Luke chapter 1 that God was not going to come through on their behalf. Let's read Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of uh, Abijah, and his wife was from the daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, I want you to see in verse 6, because this is really important, because I hear this over and over and over again, specifically from people who are followers of Jesus. Look at what Luke records about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were both, what's that next word? Say it with me. Righteous before God. Walking, what's that next word? Blamelessly. In all the commandments and statutes, statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. I love how he says advanced in years. That's like a nice way of saying they were old. <laughs> and so we see in verse 6 that even Luke writing this, writing this narrative about Zechariah and Elizabeth he kind of admits with the word but, it says, but they were barren. They were not having a family. And it says in verse 6 that they were righteous, that they were living a life of purity, that they were blameless. And I want you to see that today, that these two people were known for being righteous and blameless. It defined their lives. In fact, Luke says that they kept all of the statutes of the Lord. Is that hard to do? 
It's hard to do nowadays. It was incredibly hard to do back then. That they kept the law, that they did the right thing. And God met their expectation to have a family at this point in time, as we're reading Luke chapter 1, with silence. Have your ambitions or, or your goals or your expectations ever been met with silence? Just nothing? I'm not talking about a change of direction, a career path change, an unexpected change in your situation, in a relationship or finances or whatever it may be. This is an expectation that was continually met with silence. And there's a lot of little indicators to let us know that they were not just advanced in years, they were really advanced in years. And that this seemed possible. In many ways, God interrupts their lives with silence up to this point in time. But then he interrupts with an angel. And the angel visits Zechariah and told him that Elizabeth would give birth. And poor old Zechariah is like, you got to be kidding me. The angel Gabriel, you're sent from God, and you're telling me that my wife, who is way past the ability to have children, is going to have a child. And Zechariah believed the angel. That's not what happened, is it? Zachariah was like, there is no way that you're right about this. This is absolutely impossible, and I'm not going to believe you. And so the, the angel came and visited Zachariah again, and, and God eventually intervened, and Elizabeth had a child, and you probably, some of you may know who it was. It was John the Baptist who prepared the way for Jesus. But that didn't happen until the angel told Zechariah, who I want to remind you is a religious leader, he was essentially a preacher or priest of that day and age, that he would remain silent until after John was born. It's incredibly hard for a religious leader to remain silent. But he was silenced until after John was born. You see, God in their situation, in their big dreams, in their aspirations, God at that moment in time seemed to be saying no. Even though they had behaved, even though they had lived lives that were blameless and upright and righteous, it didn't seem like God cared about that. But God came through. He didn't say no. It seemed like it at the time. Essentially, he was saying wait. Wait and see what I do. The second narrative is Mary and Joseph. And you probably know that about the same time, Mary finds out that she, actually, she's engaged to Joseph. The Bible says that they were engaged. And that meant in that day and age that they weren't married. Obviously, some of you are like, duh, no, duh, Todd. That's exactly what engaged means. They're not married yet. But Mary and Joseph had done nothing, let's see how I say this this morning, to be able to have a baby. We'll just put it that way. All right, PG version of it this morning. Mary and Joseph were pure. And then all of a sudden, imagine their surprise. They don't want to have children yet. They're not doing anything to have a child yet. They're about ready to get married. And all of a sudden, the same angel shows up and says, hey, I got some good news. Mary, you're going to have a child, and he's going to be important in God's kingdom. And Mary's like, how should I know this? And he says, because you'll give birth to him. The Holy Spirit is going to intervene. You're going to give birth to him, and he's going to be the son of God. One family that wanted a family 
One couple that wanted a family that God seemed to be saying no. Another couple, it's the last thing that they wanted. And God seemed to be saying this is a change in direction. And Matthew puts it this way. And I want you to read Matthew very specifically to see what kind of people Mary and Joseph were. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took this place, Matthew 1, 18 and 19. In this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed, that means engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, what does that next word say? Just man. And unwilling to put her to shame, had resolved to divorce her quietly. At every move, Joseph and Mary are doing the right thing, and God interrupts their life with the Son of God, the Messiah who's going to save the world from our sins. Joseph is visited by the angel. And the one thing that we know from Joseph's life is every time he had the choice, he chose purity. So we see Zechariah and Elizabeth choosing righteousness. We see them choosing a blameless life. We see Mary and Joseph choosing purity at every turn. There's shocking news. There's potential shame in Mary and Joseph's life. And there's radical obedience. By the way, Elizabeth... At the end of the story of Elizabeth, she essentially says, I am so glad that I'm able to have a child so that I'm not put to shame. These two separate incidents were a big deal in that day and age. There's a third narrative that we can see, and it's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. She, Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And there's this presumably an innkeeper that a lot of people believe was a relative of Joseph that made room for Mary and Joseph and the birth of the Savior. We just sang about that. And it's very possible that this man and his family were targeted by King Herod later because they had supported Mary and Joseph in the birth of the Savior. So he acted in obedience. And so you have these different figures. You have these people surrounding the story of the birth of the Messiah who are living right, who are following in obedience, who are pursuing purity. And here's what I want you to hear today, church. And this is a message for me. I'm challenged by this as well. We expect that if we live a certain way and we do a certain thing, that God is going to somehow reward us on this side of heaven. And he may choose to, but it doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to. Right living doesn't necessarily result in earthly rewards. I want you to hear that again. Right living doesn't necessarily result in earthly rewards. There are certain things that we are to do to follow, be followers of Jesus, and we are to do them. We are supposed to do those things. We're supposed to live a certain way separate from expecting any kind of reward. God says he will bless us. Many of those blessings will come when we're in heaven one day. Many of the, the rewards that we receive will come when we are in eternity. 
with Jesus. But if we expect that God is going to reward us just because we are living this way or just because we are serving this way or doing certain things, we are going to end up frustrated and bitter with God. See, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they did the right thing. They lived righteously. Joseph and Mary, they lived their lives with purity. And an innkeeper was obedient and made room for the Savior because it was the right thing for them to do. They weren't expecting any rewards in return. The problem that we have is that we expect a yes from God all the time. And oh, I wish I could tell the younger version of myself that God is interested in his glory and our best in life. But sometimes the answer that we receive from him is yes, but not now. Sometimes the answer is you're not ready for this right now. And sometimes the answer our greatest dreams and our greatest expectations and our, the things that we aspire to is just a flat-out no because God knows better than we do. So what do we do at this intersection of our faith and unmet expectations? There's an old saying that expectations are predetermined resentments. I think that's true. When it comes to our goals and, and our aspirations and the things that we dream of, I don't believe that God is trying to stifle those things. In fact, I think that he wants us to continue to dream of those things on this side of heaven. But there are three things that I think God's word tells us that we need to do when unmet expectations start chipping away at our faith. The first one is we've got to church. We've got to widen our view. We've got to widen our view of, of God and widen our view of, of the circumstances of our life and what God's ultimate purpose is for us in our lives. Sometimes our, our, our perspective is so incredibly focused and, and small that we forget that God is at work in, in the larger history of mankind. It's not just us. This isn't about us. There's something going on in, in a place that we cannot see, that we can't comprehend, and we've got to widen our view, and our faith begins to be chipped away at unmet expectations. We've got to widen our view. Remember that God is faithful. Remember that he is purposeful. Remember that he is in control of our lives, even when it seems like our lives are out of control. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we've got to widen our view. Our, our pastor in Atlanta used to call the, the gospel and, and God's redemptive work throughout history the scarlet thread of history. And listen, I want you to hear that you are woven into that scarlet thread of history. And the silence, which may be meeting your dreams and your aspirations right now, widen your view of who God is and what he's doing. 
He's doing a greater work. He's doing a bigger thing. And so we've got to widen our view. The second thing that we must do when, when we have unmet expectations and it begins to chip away at our faith is we've got to inspect our lives. You see, unmet expectations, unrealized goals, it doesn't necessarily mean that we're living in some kind of sin, and it doesn't mean that we are wayward from God, but it might be, listen to this, it might be an indicator. And to be honest with you, I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged by the fact that, that it might be an indication that we're not on the same page with God. It might be an indication that we've got some things that we need to look for. Ever been driving down the road and you realize everything's off balance? It's time to take your car in for a balance and rotation, right? It's time to take it in for an alignment because you've become misaligned with the main thing in life. And, and sometimes we need to stop and inspect our lives. You see, I don't think there's enough. I, I know that I didn't grow up in, in a kind of an environment where we were encouraged to do that. And if you came here to this place today and you're frustrated with life, disappointed with God frustrated with what you see out of life, an un, unmet goal or unmet expectation, something that you aspire to and dreamed about, and you just feel like God is silent, just stop for a moment and get introspective. And I'm preaching to the choir here. We all need to stop and look within. Check our lives for selfish ambition. Check our lives for sin. David, when he faced his most difficult days, when he realized that this man who was later called a man who was a man after God's own heart, when he fell into a life of sin and, and he made some major, major missteps in his life, here's what he says in Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and I think it applies, and I love it in the NIV. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. He says, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And church, Christ follower, I want you to hear that there may be a situation in which the realized, unrealized goals and re unrealized expectations that you have, it's not all of God's doing. <laughs> it's maybe that you're just misaligned. And then the last thing, that I want to encourage you to do is to calibrate your expectations. Notice I didn't say drop your expectations. Notice I didn't say stop dreaming. Notice I didn't say stop believing that God is able. But I think that we need to calibrate our expectations. Years ago, Sean, a couple years ago, Sean and I um, went sailing. We've got a little um, inexpensive beach boat on, on the beach that um, we uh, bought during quarantine because we all were looking for stuff to do, right? Outside. We had to be outside. Um, and so once the beaches opened up, we went sailing. And uh, one day, um, we went out there. And I remember my son, um, who now was you know, three years younger at the time, was like, hey, Dad, I don't think we should go out. And I'm like, it looks great. This is going to be fun. We'll go fast. And we did. We went fast. But I ignored his recommendation. I also ignored the recommendation of the telltale. If you ever see a 
If you ever see a sail on a sailboat, there are these little strings that come off of the sailboat. Um, that's not an error. That's not like an imperfection in the sail. Those are called telltales. And they give you an indication of which way the wind is coming and, and the direction of the wind. And we weren't paying attention. I wasn't paying attention to him. He's the captain now. He, lets, he tells us whether we go or don't go anymore from that point on. Because that day we capsized. And we came real close to getting in trouble in November in cold water and as it was getting dark one day. And we're all okay. I'm here. He's here. We're all good. Okay. We have a great story to tell. But I wasn't paying attention to the telltales. And so often in life, we're just moving right along with our own ambition, with our own thing, our temporal, like earthly, material goals that we have. And God has thrown up a warning sign here, and he's thrown up a warning sign there, and he's given us an indication of a changing wind. He's given us an indication of, of where we need to be and where we are and maybe how it needs to be changed or tweaked. We just keep on sailing. We just keep on hauling. And it's not that we need to change our full expectations for life. But the problem is, is that sometimes we're not calibrated to the standard. And God is not the standard for our goals, for our aspirations. He shouldn't be. He shouldn't be, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be the goal for our aspirations. God should be. We shouldn't be the one that's, that's coming up with the standard. It's him, and it's him alone. We need to not tell God what page he should be on, but we should be looking for his page. We should get on it. Prophet Isaiah wrote this, instructed by God, the words of God, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Christmas season may be difficult for some of you. There may be a lot of reason for that. There might have been some loss, might have been some heartache, but maybe for some of you, it's unrealized goals unmet expectations, aspirations that went awry. I want to challenge you and encourage you to realize that God is God. And he has you. He is for you. And he loves you. And you play a part in what he's doing. Our job is to not be at work and have him join in. Our job is to look at life and see where he's at work and to join in with what he is doing. Father, I thank you for the lives of these who are surrounding the birth of your son. And this divine interruption of silence, of maybe instructions that didn't make sense of literally the silence of someone. Father, the, 
the circumstances didn't seem to even add up. And I'm sure that Mary and Joseph and Zachariah and Elizabeth and the innkeeper and perhaps his family went through a period of time. They were wondering what in the world is going on. Why am I doing all the right things? Why am I walking in obedience? Why am I living righteously and purely and blamelessly? And you're not coming through. Help us, Father, to expand our view. Help us in those moments when we realize a lot of goals that we had, a lot of things that we had in a time that's gone by that we aspired to in our lives. Help us to stop for a moment and inspect our own lives. And then, Father, help us to calibrate our expectations, our goals, our aspirations to ensure that we are on your page and that you are the standard and that it's not our own ambition and our own wants that is the standard in our lives. Help us to realize that your ways are higher Father, I pray for those who are discouraged, who may be a little bit bitter in life, a little bit angry, a little bit frustrated. Father, I pray right now that you would allow them to trust you. If there's something in their life that needs to be removed, taken out, so that you can take place, first place in their lives. Help each one of us. Help myself. Help us as a church to collectively make room for you to work. To even look for those divine interruptions and trust that you have got it. That you're in control. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into this world to ultimately die for our sins. Thank you, Father, that you were purposeful and intentional in the way that you saved the world. We love you. In Jesus' name, I pray.